0: Our next item is item F, which is our draft rule, Restricted Hunting Area Establishment.
1: My name is Richard Martinez, representing the Florida chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers.
2: Uh,
3: my name is Chris Spencer. I'm the resident user of the public lands and waters of our state. This is Fletcher
2: My name is uh, Steve Whittem. This is Mike Melton.
3: My name is Peter Arcuri. My name is John Schiller. Where do you hunt, John? Wherever there's water,
4: sir, wherever I'm allowed. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Bland.
2: My name is Brian
5: Cottingham. I'm a fourth-generation Floridian and a... Florida Public Land Waterfowler.
6: Yes, my name's Michael Keat.
7: Hi, my name's Trevor Dunlap, and I'm a new duck hunter. My is David Rodriguez. What's
8: cool my name's
9: D.C. Hey, Commissioners, Mike Elfenbein, speaking as Mike Elfenbein. I, I promised myself and others that I would not wait into this issue.
10: I just can't help it. Hello, Commissioners. My name is Chad Rashar, and I'm a property owner and most specifically a duck hunter in Southern Clay County. My name is Wesley Carter, um, and I live in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, I'm a local chairman for Delta Waterfowl.
11: While we wait, while we wait for the speaker, I just want to remind everybody: this is the draft rule.
0: If
12: that doesn't give you chills, I don't know what will. If that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Um, This is a very special bonus episode, again, about restricted hunting areas. You guys thought we were done talking about that. You thought wrong. What we're going to bring to you is the audio from Wednesday's commission meeting when RHAs were pulled off the agenda, then put back on, then not voted on, but discussed. And uh, I'm not going to provide much commentary today. We'll provide some commentary next week on it. I will uh, help kind of guide you through what you're hearing uh, just briefly, but then you'll be able to hear the entire RHA discussion in uh, unedited. There's there's some weird gaps in there and stuff, but you'll be able to hear it in its entirety. You're going to hear a lot of familiar names and voices speaking. And uh, I will say editorially, I can't be prouder of the group of stakeholders that showed up. We had a number that um, had family emergencies, like legitimate, crazy family emergencies, like Seriously, we, we have like <laughs> prayed over some of the family emergencies that happened um, to, to folks in our group. Like it was it was a little bit wild. We lost a couple of speakers to COVID at the last minute, um, not lost them for good, but lost them. They, they, they came down with COVID and had to quarantine. And um, then uh, there, we found out that it was pulled from the agenda the night before and notified a bunch of people. And, and so we had a few that were like, you know what, I'm not going to shoot my bullets today. I'm going to wait until it is being discussed and voted on. So um, a few uh, actually stayed back and, and went to work or whatever. But a, a whole lot of people said, nope, we're still going to ride. So uh, we loaded up the van. We loaded but we loaded up the van, but we had just as many people come from other places. So really cool, really, really galvanizing event. Um, and I, I think it was a, you, you don't see stuff like this happen every day truly a grassroots movement so um first thing you're going to hear is a little explanation from the commissioners about it getting pulled off and then put back on so this is in the opening remarks of the meeting i'm going to let you hear that and then we'll go to the next thing
11: okay let's set the agenda for today uh do we need um tom do we need to make a a little adjustment
6: yes sir on restricted hunting areas um plan is we're not going to have official um, commission voting or anything on it, but we have a lot of people that showed up for that item. We had planned to pull it, but we want to hear public comment and then give George a little bit of time just to set the context prior to that.
11: Okay, so um, Eric Sutton didn't want any of those people to talk. They know that they traveled a long ways, but (laughs) we've overruled them and we're gonna have them all talk. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and participating. We apologize that the item's getting pulled, but your voice is very important on this issue. And so we're going to hear you out. Uh, we'll have staff get up and a little, make a little um, presentation before we get to that item. But before we do that, let's go ahead and uh, entertain a
6: motion to approve m- them. Mr. Chairman? Yes, sir. Sorry to interrupt, Ms. Thomas. Um, we also need to amend the agenda on Spot and Croker. Okay. Make okay. sure that's off of consent. Okay. Thank you.
13: So, Chairman, I motion that we uh, adjust the agenda to make the Restricted hunting areas, a uh, discussion only. And we also withdraw from the consent agenda of the spotted croaker. Okay, I that's
11: moved and seconded by uh, Commissioner down at the end. I have a <laughs> question yeah. on the blank. That guy. Gary. <laughs> Gary. Hey, Chairman, I've got a question before you. Gary, you gotta, think you gotta a vote hang out there. with us at night. Still <laughs> alright.
14: Yes, sir. So in order, in order to satisfy whatever uh, requirements we might have to hear this item at the next meeting, Do we need to postpone for that time certain or can we just pull it and you'll advertise again
6: yes the the second we staff would prefer just postponing and then we'll bring it back when it's right perfect okay thank you okay everybody's clear
11: all those in favor of the motion Aye. aye aye passes
12: okay so that was in the opening segment Um, And then they did some pictures with some artists and some awards and stuff that they always give away. They did the Python challenge. And then they came back to the restricted hunting area discussion probably an hour into the morning. Um, And so that's what you're about to hear here you will hear the the main voice you will hear is, uh, is, is commission. So chairman Rodney Barreto is her. You heard a minute ago, kind of, kind of running us through that, but then you'll hear um, vice chair, Mike soul will be the guy calling people to the microphone. And then you're going to hear a whole bunch of voices. Everyone says their name So you'll know who they are. I don't have to interrupt that. And then I'll come back at the end to put a little bow on this. Hope you guys enjoy this. Hope you guys are proud of what you hear. I, I, I've been floating around for two and a half days, like, I am i can't get any prouder. Um, what you're seeing is truly, truly, truly a grassroots movement. And if you want to be a part of it, just let us know. We'd love to have you. And with that, here's the restricted hunting area conversation.
11: So we're going to do the restricted hunting. And this item has been deferred, but we're going to go ahead and uh, hear from, from our director of hunting, get a little background, and then we're going to hear from the public since a lot of them traveled far and uh, to be with us this morning. So let's do that. George Wortham George is our uh, director of division of hunting and game management. He'll give us an overview. George,
15: do we have all the thank you. Good morning, Mr. Chairman, Good morning, commissioners, director Sutton. Uh, I'll be brief to provide time uh, for the speakers today. And I wanted to outline this longstanding matter that's been brought before the commission several times over the past several decades. In short, current restricted hunting area rule has been found to be subjective and does not appropriately serve any of the parties involved. Proposed rule changes seek to improve the RHA process by finding an appropriate compromise that serves all stakeholders and provides stronger protections for hunters. Today, you have a great group of stakeholders here, dedicated hunters to share their thoughts and perspectives of this proposed rule. As always, I'm standing by to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, George.
11: Well, that was quick. Good. Good job. <laughs> so we so we have a bunch of members from the public here that uh, want to obviously voice their concern. With that, Mr. Vice-Chair.
13: Thank you, Chairman. All right, so we have uh, roughly 22 speakers, or mine speakers. You're going to see your name up on the board so if you can queue up uh, because we have roughly gosh an hour worth of public comment on this item so i appreciate uh you queuing up as as quickly as possible i'll announce speakers in groups of five we're going back to the old way and ask that when i call your name please come up to the front so that you're ready to go in the queue Reminder, we have the, the routine uh, timer. If, if you're getting close to your time, I might give you a warning order, and when it's time, I need you to conclude your remarks. With that, Chairman, let's uh, bring up our first five groups of speakers. Newton Cook, Bill George, Suzanne George, Lisa Pretty, and Robert Hallett. Newton, it's good to see you.
4: Boy, is this wonderful to be able to stand up in front of you guys after over a year. Uh, just for the record, Newton Cook, United Waterfowlers of Florida, I'm president of that little group. Uh, Board of Directors of Future Hunting in Florida. Uh, I'm on the FWC uh, Deer Management Technical Advisory Group. Also on the quota Review Group, which are starting up again. Both of those uh, tags are meeting. Uh, some of us have got gray hair <laughs> from it. Uh, and also uh, the U.S. Forest rack recent appointment uh, meeting on on Ocala and Apalachicola, Osceola Forest. First of all, there's a lot of folks here and I respect every one of them because we're all duck hunters and they're they're all passionate and God bless them all. Uh, Being 81 years old is like being 21 years old. You think you're bulletproof. So you, you, you take positions based on different situations. Fact of the matter is, I support this rule that they're proposed, there's a reason for that because over the last 10 years, we've been in four negotiations of legal and we came very close to getting in front of an administrative judge. And my preference is that our legal team and our guys write the rule and not an administrative judge. A lot of people don't understand the danger. You'll hear from them, but it is a major danger. We already have a directional rule, and that directional rule is simple. You can shoot your gun any way you want to, as long as you don't shoot it over somebody else's private property. That's the best rule in the world, it's the best. There's No restriction on where you can shoot, you just can't shoot it, it's projectile trespass law. You don't need anything else. Anything else is adding additional restriction. The other thing, of course, is the 300 feet rule. We went for decades in Florida with a 300 feet rule from any structure, and what happened was you could get a ticket for shooting 300 feet from a telephone pole, which believe me they did between STA one West and A80. Now it's, in this rule it's 300 feet from a dwelling, a house. So you could still sit under the guy's boat ramp, boat dock, and shoot ducks if his house is 300 feet off the shoreline. So I could go on a long time about this, but let me put it just very simple. I trust the FWC legal department to write the rules for these little towns that don't want the hunting inside their areas much more than I trust an administrative judge. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Newton. Suzanne George. Or or Bill George. Or Bill, did you change your name? And I'm, I'm, I missed it.
10: I'll try not to touch anything and make his job a little easier. <laughs> not that I make everybody's here job easier, but um, I'm. I don't like the wor- rule as it is right now. I do want to recognize that our current process needs changing, and it it is subject to being taken advantage of by somebody else, and we could lose more, but. I do not agree with giving up any sovereign submerged lands, okay? Um, This state's going to constantly be developed and I don't, yes it's here today but I don't want it to be the next hundred yards or the next hundred yards of every lake around this place as what we consider to be wild lands gets developed and and it will happen you know, unless we as a state buy the lands, which we can't afford to buy everything we'd like to. Um, So I, I have a problem with that and I also have a problem with if they do do this, one of the things is, is the landowner and anybody they give permission to can still hunt within the RHA, okay? That's, that's part of the process, that's part of the ordinance must be passed that the landowner or any of them can hunt within the RHA. It does not say that it can only be in their backyard. It does not say that. It's just they can hunt within the RHA. So if I get permission to hunt you know, from one landowner, I can go run amok in the RHA, essentially privatizing portions of our sovereign submerged lands from our hunting. I can still discharge a firearm there. I could take a bass boat legally, put a clay pigeon thrower on there and shoot clay pigeons, legally. But you don't want me to shoot a poor little duck because somebody might be offended with that. I say the time is to draw the line on sovereign submerged lands. Mr. Barreto, I support public, you know, people and their private land rights. If you want to develop your island or whatever they want to call it, that's yours. You can do what you want with it as far as I'm concerned. The public water sovereign submerged land is our lands. It's not their land. And we're constantly going to have conflicts between what people think are their private areas. Next year, is it, hey, I run a light on my, on my dock and so this snook is my snook and not your snook? Where, where do we draw the line? And I say it is at the sovereign submerged land. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Mr. George. Commissioner Pretty. Good to see you.
16: Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, I'm here to speak on this topic on behalf of a fellow rancher, Brad Ferris. Brad's daughter and wife came down with COVID within the last two days, so he's self-quarantining at home and asked me to to speak on this topic for him, which I'm glad to do. Brad's an 8th generation rancher from Okeechobee, where his family's ranch lies along the western shore of Lake Okeechobee. As you may expect, the majority of my years hunting have been spent on private land, which necessarily may cause you to question why I would possibly have interest in the proposed RHA rule for public waters. For much of my youth, the waterfowl hunting on our ranch was some of the best to be enjoyed in Florida, but that changed drastically as more and more storage treatment areas, wetland reserve easements, and other government-funded water impoundment areas were created, resulting to changes to waterfowl migration patterns. I had been raised in the southern tradition of waterfowl hunting, and the only option to continue enjoying it and pass it on to my own kids was to hunt public lands. Aside from having a vested personal interest in waterfowl hunting on public lands, I have a few salient concerns with this RHA draft rule in its current iteration. First, it seems to me that the agency is engaged in a chaotic journey, tilting at windmills, attempting to offer solutions to perceived potential problems where other viable alternatives are available and are far less intrusive and restrictive on all citizens' civil liberties while remaining in alignment with Florida Statute 790.154. And this in turn leads to my second concern, which is a trend I've noticed as I've engaged and advocated with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the South Florida Water Management District and others in far too many water meetings and workshops to list. While studying constitutional law and administrative procedures in law school, it was made clear to us as students that a fundamental tenet of this administrative rulemaking process was a safeguard provision for meaningful public input or comment, yet I have witnessed an erosion of this right granted to the public. Time and again these days, I witness government agencies limiting the opportunity for public input and even when input is allowed, the agencies seem to flippantly disregard it, doing as they please. FWC as an agency and this Commission Board has received stern pushback against this rule as drafted, and my challenge to you today is to stand boldly and earnestly hearing and heeding the will of the people who have taken precious time to engage in this process with you. I respectfully thank you for your time, your service in our state, and your consideration of this matter. Yours truly, Brad Ferris.
13: Thank you, ma'am. All right, Robert Hallett. And while Robert's coming up, Mike Alfenbein, Harry Huff, Ryan Briggs, Peter Curie, if you all can come into the, po- or the front area. Thank you. Good morning, Robert. Welcome.
3: Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Robert Hallett. Most people know him by my middle name, Fletcher. Good morning, Commissioners. Again, my name is Fletcher Hallett. I live in St. Augustine and i am an avid outdoorsman. I grew up hunting and fishing in Central and North Florida, but did not start waterfowl hunting until just a few years ago. For the last few days, I have been writing down and organizing my thoughts for this moment. Given the agenda item has just been postponed, I'm not sure if my comments are valid. I want to make clear I drove from St. Augustine to attend this meeting. Luckily, I had a friend's couch to crash on last night. As a business owner, during a labor shortage, taking a day off from work is tough. With all that being said, I would like to thank you for allowing us the time to make our comments. I want to make clear I am here to speak against the proposed RHA rule. Recently, I was having trouble writing out my comments for this meeting, so I decided to step back and do some light research on FWC, its guiding guiding principles and core values. Here are a few things I found that I believe you should be reminded of. On your website, I found FWC's mission is to manage wildlife and its resources for their long-term well-being and for the benefit of people, FWC's vision, FWC envisions a Florida where fish and wildlife are abundant and thriving in healthy and connected natural landscapes with vital working lands and waterways, where natural resources are valued and safely enjoyed by all, and wherein natural systems support vibrant human communities and strong and a strong economy. Your mission and vision do not line up with this new rule. The new rule will have lasting effects on your R3 initiative and your vision for natural resources being valued and enjoyed. Here's a parallel. The national refuge system exists solely on the backs of duck hunters. What happens when there's little or no duck hunters left? Now, I do not have time to to read every core value, but here are a few. Service excellence. We are solution-oriented and committed to achieving wildlife fisheries conservation results and efficiently meeting the needs of the public stakeholders. This new rule flies in the face of of this core value by not meeting The needs of your stakeholders, in this case duck hunters. Homeowners in the lake will also not see less gunfire noise by not allowing hunting to happen within 300 feet. A shotgun sounds the same to me at 300 feet as it does at 100 feet. Professional integrity, this one's really important, please listen. We operate honestly and ethically and apply our process, rules, and regulations in a consistent manner that engenders a climate of trust and fairness. This rule flies in the face of this core value by, being, by us being told that this, is, this rule is to protect and ensure hunting for the future. As we continue to see development, allowable areas to duck hunt will dwindle in this, with this new rule. Let's call the rule what it is
13: way but your time can you wrap up your comments please
3: all right let's call this new rule what it is this is a noise ordinance i've got one more quarter cool variety to go through but uh i think that's my time so i'll uh, i'll quit i appreciate it everything guys thank you for
13: traveling and, and coming here for for your thoughts all right mike elfenbein thank you sir good morning and welcome
9: good morning everybody eric Commissioner of Staff, good to see you, George. How are you? Um, my comments aren 't to the merit of the rule um, that 's not for me to decide right it 's a law lawyer's figure that out. Uh, my, my comments are more to my concerns with the direction we 're going and, and and maybe the relevancy roadmap that plays a part in this but I've been engaged like everybody else here today in this process for the last year or so. Uh, George has made himself more than available to explain these issues and address concerns and questions. And we've had these discussions before the commission previously uh, through Zoom calls, but it took today uh, the force of many people putting in a lot of their time and resources unpaid Um, unrecognized to draw up support support from a dozen or so national organizations and a couple of state legislators um, and and, and just stakeholders to get this commission to a point where they actually took these concerns serious. Um, You've listened, but there was never any give and take. There was never any compromise in the direction that this rule was headed. Um, There was some changes to the language and vocabulary, but they were minor. Um, They didn't address the heart of what the stakeholders were presenting to you as the compromises they were looking for. Um, Like those other folks sitting behind me today, none of us were paid to be here. Um, And we tried to work with the agency. We we tried to be friends and sit at the table and have amicable discussions to achieve resolutions as we create policy and law through this agency. My concern is the direction that we're headed in um, and the frustration that I'm hearing from all these folks and they're wondering whether participating in these types of commission meetings and conversations is even worth their time. So that today I bring to you that concern not necessarily what the rule does or doesn't do or what it does or doesn't establish. But the fact that your stakeholders, your friends, the people, um, boots on the ground, um, that add value to this agency and to our wildlife feel as though they're not being heard. Um, That's my concern and and thank you for listening to me. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Mike. Harry Huff. Good morning and welcome.
4: Here's a real duck hunter. (laughs) (laughs)
17: good morning commission my name is harry huff i work for the school board of highlands county Um, i'm here today to voice my opposition to the rha rule in its current form during the online workspace i asked if the 300 foot rule of the rha was a hard rule that cannot be modified disappointingly I was told that the municipality can resubmit for a greater distance if they can, could prove it was necessary. To me, while RHA rule is meant to eliminate the bird sanctuary rule, it sure sounds like we will once again have a commission-blessed rule that is punitive to waterfowl hunting and hunter access. After reading the bird sanctuary history statuses in this establishment document, I get the impression that we are shuffling up an old rule and giving it a new, less favorable name. The bird sanctuary rule was created under the guise of protecting wildlife, but it ended up being utilized as a weapon against hunters because people simply did not like the noise aspect of hunting. Safety Safety concerns, of course, were used then and are being used now as one of the reasons behind establishments of RHAs. Being as we did not have any documentation of non-hunters being injured by waterfowl hunters, it would seem we are creating a rule for something that has not been documented yet and very likely will never occur. Since we already have laws and statutes that address direction of fire and safety, it seems a bit unnecessary that the agency would go through all this trouble to make a redundant and punitive rule as much as I would like to assume this rule is in our state's best interest I cannot help but feel this is a rule that is catering to current and future development instead of preparing current and future homeowners for hunters. We are spending time catering to development in spite of hunters, specifically waterfowl hunters. The time I have spent outdoors in the state has brought a deeper appreciation for our wild spaces than the average person will have. And I would love to share that this appreciation with the future generations. But at the current rate and seeing how history and human nature have played out, when we give an inch, I feel the RHA issue will turn into something where non-hunters take a mile. Figuratively and quite possibly literally, thank you for your time. Thank you, sir.
13: All right. Can we have Ryan Briggs come on up?
6: Good morning, Ryan. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for uh, allowing us to comment on this, and thank you for uh, just giving us the time. And uh, I do appreciate that we have, uh, you know, taken more time to consider this even beyond today, so I thank you for being open to that. Um, Now, this will come as a surprise, but I'm here to express my opposition to the RHA rule. Um, The first thing that hits me when we talk about this rule is we're citing data that may or may not well some of it doesn't exist. Um, There's a safety aspect that we are citing and there is no um, instances between uh, waterfront homeowners and waterfowlers where anyone was injured. I know that there's been some property damage over the years but we don't have any injuries so the safety aspect um, I'm not really sure why that's being spoken of when we have laws and rules that protect life and property already. Um, We do have obviously the problem of people calling and complaining because of the noise. I don't think that's ever going to change, no matter what we do. Um, I do know the agency doesn't keep track of the shots fired um, calls that we get, or that you all get, um, that are related to hunting. But if we're going to draw data for a rule, shouldn't we have the data available? Shouldn't there be some numbers we can draw from that say, hey, this is a big burden on our system? This is why we need to do that. We've can't really do that It's more or less word of mouth. Um, The other thing about the RHA rule I don't like is that we do have data to draw on the slippery slope it will create. Bird sanctuaries when they were established in 1960 quickly became weaponized against waterfowl hunters the next year in 1961 when uh, manatee and Dade counties were up on the chopping block to become or large portions of them to become bird sanctuaries. And the reason that was given was that there is a growing serious problem with hunting near development. They didn't mention safety per se, but, you know, usually, and like it was then, probably is now, noise issues. Um, And at that point, Florida's population was 5.2 million, so the landscape has changed a little bit. Um, In opposition to the rule in 1961, Commissioner Kelly summarized that their job is not to close hunting for any reason other than for conservation concerns nor will it be, should it be closed for policing or peace matters, so I ask, what's changed? Um, I think that we could have done a better job on education. We could have prevented a lot of the problems we have with homeowners if we could dive into um, a program to where we want to we educate all waterfront homeowners. If they're prepared in advance for what to expect on the body of water they live on, then when it comes time to complain, they're complaining just to complain. They were prepared, we did our job, so now why are they complaining about people hunting? Um, Thank you for your time, I'm running out of time, and uh, you all have a good day. Thank you, Ryan, appreciate you being here. All right, Well, Peter Curry comes
13: up, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, can we have, Brad, uh, uh, excuse me, Patrick Grozowski, Brian Cottingham,
1: Trevor Dunlap, Derek Bolling, and Steve Whittem, come on up to the front. Good morning, sir, welcome. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, thank you so much for allowing us the time to speak this morning. My name is Peter O'Curry. I'm 25 years old, I drove in from Tampa this morning. Um, I'm an avid waterfowler, and as I'm sure you can probably guess, I do oppose this rule as written today. Um, you know, myself and many of the men and women that are going to speak today on this rule, we, we've attended every single meeting possible. Um, we have begged the agency to compromise with us, to work with us, to meet us somewhere in the middle. Until, until today, um, you know, the agency really hasn't been willing to compromise. I do see the postponement of the voting today as, as a compromise. And I'm looking forward to hopefully continuing to work with you guys to, to make a better rule for waterfowl hunters. Um, Now, some of the concerns that I want to specifically bring up, you know, we need an option for a stopgap. I know um, Commissioner Spotswood even brought that up in the last meeting that it might be interesting to look at that. An option to possibly deny the RHA request. Um, Also, an option to protect certain historically significant waterfowl lakes on our landscape from being designated as RHAs. Um, I'd also like to echo um, a desire that many people are going to state that we really would like to see a a directional component in the rule. Um, Now the presentation that was going to be made today, I'm not sure if you guys have it in front of you. I have it here on page nine actually and it's an image of uh, Lake Toho um, talking about a hypothetical RHA. I have a lot of problems with this image used okay, because this image shows the lake in its current state as we sit now. Okay, how this image should have the future development plans for Toho um, because that's kind of what we're up against, right? We're up against the future on the development that's coming. Um, a couple of numbers I'll run by you. By the year 2030 on Toho, there will be 75,000 single and multifamily homes, 18 million square feet of commercial buildings, 5 million square feet of school and government buildings, and 5,000 hotel rooms, all on the remaining shoreline. Um, So this image is not really accurate, is what we're going to be fighting against in the coming years. Um, This is happening all over our state. This is just one example. So I just want to make sure that we are looking to the future. This rule is not about today. It's not about this duck season. It's not even about next duck season. We're concerned for the years in the future. And I'm concerned for my future children, my future grandchildren that will be hunting on these same public waters. They're going to look a lot different. Okay. There's going to be a lot more people living here in our state, a lot more waterfront homes. Uh, I know FWC cannot stop development, but what FWC can do is hopefully protect hunters for when that future development comes. So um, that kind of sums up my comments. I really appreciate the time today, guys, but I really look forward to working with you guys in the future. Hopefully, as we move forward, Uh, quickly I would think duck hunters would really appreciate if the next meeting didn't fall during duck season. So,
11: (laughs) thank you for your. Um, so you're the hypothetical RHA, you yes, just, sir. Lake Tahoe, yes, sir. So you're you're kind of basically saying, hey, it's not about this season, not about next season. It's about down the road that that red line is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. One hundred
1: percent, sir. And, the, and I, I fear that it might they might ask for more than three hundred feet eventually. Right. Thank you.
11: Yep. Good a good observation.
13: Yep. Thank you, Patrick Krasowski. Good Welcome. Morning. Good, morning. good morning. Did I do that all right, or I butcher it? Say it again? Grazowski? Did yes, I, sir. You got it right. All right. Thank you, sir. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. My name is
18: Patrick Grazowski. I travel from Sarasota, and I would like to thank you for taking your time to listen to us. I do not have a fancy title or prominent position in any organization of importance. I'm just a millennial with a passion for the outdoors. This isn't the first meeting I've sat in on. However, it is the first one I've decided to comment on. I personally have witnessed spray meetings prior to the COVID pandemic, and watched your members get berated by citizens, no matter what you did. Comically, not unlike any public meeting hosted in the popular TV series, Parks and Rec. There are more than a few people in here that are strong proponents of your organization and understand the trepidations that come with it. We are with you. However, as my years grow longer in the state, I can't help but remember all the conversations I've had in the past with the old guard. The recurring theme is, you should have seen this place in its prime or you should have seen this place so many years ago. The running joke is you're not a true Floridian until you've uttered the phrase, this used to be orange groves and this used to be swamp. <laughs> Time is never ending and neither is progress, whether good or bad. I understand that development in the state is going to occur whether I like it or not. My query is where do we draw the line? At what point do we say enough? This area was used for outdoor activities long before it became homes and developed land. The world as we know it is only getting smaller, and I have to imagine you're getting pressure from municipalities, members of governments, and citizens to enact something to give officers a leg to stand on in remediating complaints. Normally, I'm of the position that a deal between two parties where neither is satisfied is a great compromise. However, that's not the case here. The outdoorsmen and women would inevitably lose hunting opportunities all over the state with no justifiable increase in safety that isn't already covered in the statutes. I'm not going to turn this in this room into an echo chamber, repeating what has already been so eloquently stated by my peers. Having said that, I and we understand that you have a difficult job managing a dwindling resource for an ungrateful population. Don't hurt the very people you're supposed to protect and that are standing by your side. Standing up in opposition to those that are pushing for this rule, we will stand with you. I personally have seen houses come up in areas that I hunt and have hunted. This rule will not only negatively impact me, but every following generation as well. It must be stopped. In true millennial fashion, I'm going to end this statement with a quote from a famous captain, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. The line must be drawn here, this far, no further. Thank
11: you for your time. Thank you for coming.
13: Thank you, Patrick. All right, Brian Cottingham. Morning, Brian, welcome. Morning.
5: First, I wanna thank the commissioners for their time for letting us speak on this matter even though it's been postponed. And I also wanna express some gratitude because finally it feels like our concerns have been heard for the last year that we've been expressing. Um, my name is Brian Cottingham. I'm a fifth generation Floridian and I'm a waterfowl hunter from Palm Beach County. I I came here today to oppose the RHA draft rule as it was written. My main concern being that of R3, specifically recruitment, waterfowling is already a difficult form and arguably the most costly of hunting to get into, which already affects recruitment. This rule directly adds limited access to already limited access. Limiting access takes away from recruitment as well, which takes away from retainment. You lose new hunters with this rule. Commissioner Soule, you spoke towards the end of the February meeting stating 300 feet on most lakes takes up a significant amount of huntable area and believe the agency should be able to use discretion of that to deny or approve an RHA. And adding something to that verbiage, I support. Commissioner Barreto, You spoke in reference to a developer asking for a buffer zone on Orange Hammock WMA. Your your comment said, perhaps we should be disclosing in these contracts of new developments that hey, hunting takes place here, you're going to hear gunshots and things that take place while engaged in hunting. You can't just come in, build a home, and shut down hunting. And that I support. You also stated at the end of the February meeting after hearing the 18 against and two for this draft rule that you wanted to remind everyone it's just a draft rule. Yet here we were today ready to discuss that same material. In closing, I'd like to say in mine and my family's time, we've seen things come and go, some by human error, some by natural process. I don't wanna sit and watch the demise of public, water, public land waterfowling before my three-year-old son who gets to go on his first hunt this year and my one-year-old daughter ever get to know what it is. And if passed, that draft rule is the start of the demise. Thank you for your time.
14: Thank Thank you. you, Brian.
13: All right, Trevor Dunlap. Trevor, good morning and welcome.
7: Good morning, commissioners. My name is Trevor Dunlap. I'm from Longwood, Florida, which is in Seminole County, next door to Castleberry. You're probably familiar. I spoke on the telephone during the meeting back in February and I traveled a long way today to come and speak again on the RHAs. I'm a new duck hunter and have been only hunting ducks for two seasons. In that short time, I've introduced my fiance, brother, nephew, and a few other friends to duck hunting. As a new hunter, I'm opposed to the RHA rule. The rule as it's written creates a barrier for new hunters who are on a budget. For a new hunter who has a dozen decoys in a canoe, hopefully some of you are familiar with that, and taking out my six-year-old nephew to introduce him to fowling, the RHA rule creates one more barrier for hunters to hurdle and get into the sport. RHAs will force hunters, especially in my area where we have limited access to public water as it is to have to travel to places like Merritt Island or the STAs where you have to draw a permit or a quota, and you may not even get one. And when you're there, you have to use hundreds of decoys and compete with other hunters that have been doing it for years and years who have much better equipment and more skills. This restricts hunters, especially young and new hunters, making the recruitment part of R3 more difficult, and as I see it, the new RHA rule, as it's written, directly contradicts R3. While I understand that this rule will not affect hunters this season, or maybe in the next five, but I'm here today to protect this sport for my nephew, his generation, so that they can enjoy hunting for many years in the future. I hope the future of duck hunting in Florida remains on public waters, not forced to private leases because a homeowner who lives on a lake has to listen to shotgun fire on their lake for less than 70 days of the year. Thank you again, Commissioners, for your time, and thank you for listening to the people who come from across the state and took off days of work to discuss RHAs. Hopefully our input and opposition to the rule will be taken into consideration with the future of this rule.
14: Thank you, Trevor.
13: Good morning, Derek. Welcome.
19: Good morning, commissioners. My name is Derek Balling. I'm a lifelong Fort Myers resident, an avid angler, and a novice waterfowler. I'd like to thank you for doing it so close to home, made it very convenient for me, Uh, not so much for others that have traveled very far to be here today. I personally think you have the hardest job in the world, tasked to manage and protect the wonderful fish and wildlife of Florida, so that generations to come may enjoy it just as I have. That's why I was so puzzled when this was first presented as a draft rule by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. I expect this kind of rule to be proposed by a municipality and to be shot down by the commission as it limits access to the resources that you manage for stakeholders from around the state and those that will travel here to partake in the great opportunities Florida has to offer. I see this being a major roadblock for new recruitment into the waterfowl community. In the draft rule, we were told spatial separation would lead to an increase of hunter acceptance but you don't have any evidence to support this as if at 300 feet the report from a shotgun is inaudible or that the spatial separation alone will solve all of the problems that face waterfowlers and land landowners. If the law is written to protect landowners and their property then we don't need the RHA as it's written as we already have a law that does that Florida statute 810.09 paren 2 paren H states that it is a third degree felony to take or attempt to take any wildlife with a projectile that will cross over another person's property. And why, why couldn't we have a directional component then if we already kind of have one? It just seems to make sense to me. The redundancy seems unnecessary. It feels like an attempt to push waterfowl hunters out of many public waterways that have been hunted for decades until people moved in and started complaining. I don't imagine that development will slow on many of the waterways, leaving waterfowlers fighting for water that will become increasingly crowded and lead to actual conflicts, not complaints. If noise is the main complaint from other stakeholders, 300 feet won't fix those issues. Uh, the report from a shotgun going off away from you at 300 feet is a little quieter than it is at 100 feet. It's not, I just don't understand that. I'm not good at this public speaking stuff. It's You're doing great. Time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it's my, my father-in-law. He lives on the Peace River. We stayed there for Christmas. We could sit in the living room and watch them shoot ducks out the window. It is great to see. It's four, five hundred feet, maybe. I barely hear it unless I open the door. It doesn't it? Just I don't understand if it's the noise that's really driving this. It makes no sense to me. Um, yeah, if. Everything else has been said by many of my peers today. I'm not gonna harp on it too hard, but I'll uh, go ahead and wrap it up there and thank you for your time. Thank you, Derek. I
13: really appreciate you being here. Glad we can be in your backyard. All right, Steve Woodham, while Steve's coming up, can I ask Mark Mason, Stacy Woodham, Adam Steele, Scott Penka to come on up front, please, and thank you.
2: Morning, Steve. How are you? Well, thanks for having us today. Um, had a statement prepared, but uh, Mr. Cottingham and Mr. Balling pretty much pegged it. But uh, but one concern I did have is um, I came all the way here from Brooksville. It's about three hours away. I'm terrified of public speaking. It was just this important for me to come here today. Um, when I found out it was off the agenda, I felt like we were once again getting relegated, not being we, we you didn't want to hear us. I was on the last Zoom call. It felt like what was it, 18 to 2 was against the RHA rule. And, uh, and the, the only comment we got back was some minor language change. Um, we got here today, found out we're back. I, I greatly appreciate this opportunity for me to voice my opposition to the RHA rule as drafted. and. Um, I just wanted to also further point out, with the 300-foot rule, what's stopping, if I'm 305 feet away, what's stopping a homeowner to call in? Is an officer gonna come out and tell me, oh, you're 305 feet away? Probably not. They're gonna tell me to pack up my stuff, pack sand, and go home. Um, because I'm, I'm not the squeaky wheel. The squeaky wheel always seems to get the grease in these scenarios. Um, and at what point, I do have a statute written here. It is 379.105, which is hunter harassment. At what point are our protections being afforded to us? That's all I have to say, commissioners. Thank you very much for letting us say our piece today.
13: Thanks, Steve. Thanks for driving. Mark, good morning and welcome.
20: Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Mark Mason. I live in Wesley Chapel, Florida. I'm a native Floridian. I'm an avid outdoorsman and spend almost all of my time outdoors on the public land or public water. I started hunting and fishing at a young age, but I've only been duck hunting for about the last four years. I'm here today to speak in opposition of the proposed RHA rules. The proposed rules say that the agency cannot, if it has substantial, cannot issue, if it has substantial impacts to fish and wildlife, yet the rule says the agency shall issue the permit if all criteria are met. How is this acceptable? On other rules in the agency, including gopher tortoises and reptiles, permits must be issued if certain criteria are met, so why is this rule different? This seems like the mechanism to deny is subjective, which in part is the reason of the rule being cleaned up in the first place, so it wouldn't be subjective. I'd also like to point out that there's no data to support spatial separation Neither Southwick and Associates nor Northwoods Collective are aware of any data supporting the idea that spatial separation leads to acceptance of hunting, which was the reason given that we could not have the New York rule at the February meeting. I thank you for allowing me to speak here today, and I hope you can take my concerns as well as many others who are proposed to the RHA rules into consideration. If passed as written, there may not be any immediate negative uh, impacts to public waterfowl hunting, But in the long term, I believe there will be substantial impacts given the ever-increasing development in our state. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Ms. Mason. Stacy. good morning and welcome. Thanks for being here.
8: First off, I want to say thank you very much for recognizing that we traveled far to come speak about this issue today. Um, So again, thank you very much for your time. Um, and thank you for the staff for putting in all the work that you have done on this. Uh, my name is Stacy Whittem. I'm a stakeholder, a member of American Daughters of Conservation, a new waterfall hunter, and I'm from Brooksville, Florida. Today we travel like many because we are very passionate about our beautiful <coughs> state and our rights. We rely on this governing board to make science-based decisions when it comes to defending the future conservation of Florida. I am speaking to you today to express my opposition to the RHA rule 68A-19-002. There is no scientific data to support the existence of this rule. There is just emotion and reaction. I believe it was Commissioner Soule who brought up the question of why we would not do a New York rule. The answer provided by George was because of spatial separation. Rather than using that term, why not use spatial awareness to the developers and homeowners. Just in case you were wondering what spatial awareness is, it is an organized awareness of objects in the space around us and also an awareness of our body's position in that space. To help help with that awareness, I feel that we could explore educational materials to be provided to new homeowners, HOAs, and dispatchers that take hunting complaint calls. Scripts could be provided so the same message is being communicated. This this script can be as simple as informing them of hunting rules that is indeed legal and to inform them to call back if there is any trespassing or damage done to person or property. Example, for 69 days out of the year you may hear gunfire due to recreational hunting on this body of water. But please know that you as a homeowner, are already protected under 790.15 and 810-.09. I would say one of our biggest hurdles is education when it comes to perception of honey. Every day, many of us witness the abuse your staff receives on social media. We all try speaking up to help educate other stakeholders. We base all of those discussions on science and facts. We may not always agree, but we will always respect the science behind the agency's research. We are the advocates that you want, so please start being the trustees of the resource that we need. Again, thank you very much for your time today.
11: Thank you.
13: Thank you, Ms. Williams. Adam Steele, welcome. Good
21: morning. Morning. First of all, I'd like to thank the commission for having us this morning. Mr. Warden, pleasure to meet you. My name's Adam Steele, longtime listener, first time speaker. Drove here this morning from Stanford, Florida. Here not only as the Hunter Recruitment, Retention and Reactivation Chair for the Florida Chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, but I'm also a consumptive use stakeholder, a business, land, and homeowner. It's unfortunate what was once the backcountry is now the urban interface or simply the front lines of conservation as we know it. Though brief on the overall scale of this debate, my involvement started years ago with the City of Belle Isle and the attempt to impose the bird sanctuaries. I strongly oppose the current RHA proposal without elimination of the three hundred foot buffer and the addition of a directional fire component. I would love to come with the data to support this, but the facts are it's just not out there. Just like there's not any data to support any breach of safety for homeowners not currently addressed by existing statutes. While we accept the fact that there is conflict, we know only proper education directed at the root of that conflict can solve it effectively. The concept of spatial separation can still be defined by us now and it can reflect more cooperation and less segregation. If the goal is hunter acceptance, this seems like the logical path. As established, the RHA rule change is a band-aid on a bullet wound, which will ultimately kick the can to the next generation of constructive problem solvers. This will cripple, cripple hunter recruitment, retention, reactivations, efforts, and p- potentially cause more conflict by allowing municipalities to enforce statutes relating to wildlife. This sounds reminiscent of an outdated separate but equal policy we are still seeing the destructive ripples from. This is not protective of hunters but a discriminatory action against a minority user group with the looming threat of de facto privatization of a public trust resource. It's been said the best way to lead is from the front And I've heard it said today by the commission, the agency is leading the way. I'm proud and thankful to be part of a progressive organization's leadership, along with several others here today, making the effort to move forward together. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Adam.
22: All
13: right, Well, Scott Penka comes up, can we ask the the rest of the speakers, Justin Morales, Emily Thompson, Travis Thompson, and Matthew Schwartz, come on up.
4: Good morning, commissioners. It's good to
23: be back in person. Um, I'm going to read a statement I prepared. My name is Scott Panka. I'm the state chair for Florida chapter of uh, backcountry Backcountry hunters and anglers. I live in Kissimmee, which is in the fastest growing county in the state and also home to several lakes of prime duck hunting habitat. Uh, Osceola County is where the hypothetical RHA is. So you can imagine with the growth that will happen to the lands around these lakes in the next five to 10 years. I am speaking to you today to voice my opposition to the restricted hunting areas and the way the draft rule is currently written and ignoring our request for a directional component or other compromises we've asked about. It's concerning that this agenda item was only given an hour for public comments. while several agenda items in the past have been given copious amounts of time. And it feels as though other stakeholders are satisfied, but not waterfowl hunters. As a hunter who slowly stepped into the world of duck hunting, here we are with another barrier of entry. I feel as the way this is written is punitive towards myself and the 14,000 other duck hunters in the state. Several of them who I call good friends who have spoke before me. I I am humbly standing in front of you, the commissioners, asking you to reconsider this and to personally advocate for hunters regarding how we interact with development as we move forward. I want want to ask the commission formally to help us maintain access to the game because the game, specifically waterfowl, are going to go to the spots where RHAs exist. If you remove hunters from the RHA, the ducks are going to go there. Less people, less pressure. We only have 69 days a year to access that resource. All other user groups have 365 days. Eliminating us from certain areas of lakes will virtually eliminate us from the whole lake because of how ducks will be pressured towards the RHA areas. Thank you for your time and consideration to this.
13: Thank you, Scott. All right, Justin Morales, good morning, welcome.
24: Morning. Uh, My name is Justin Morales. I'm a Naples, Florida resident of uh, 29 years. So this is right here in my backyard. Uh, For the last seven years, I've developed a deep understanding and uh, knowledge of uh, hunting through the public land system. And uh, as this was my entry to, you know, a barrier to becoming an outdoorsman. As such, I made myself well versed on rules and regulations. I've read uh, countless brochures and maps for the WMAs. Uh, STAs and NWRs, I've educated myself on rules and um, there was a certain level of intelligence needed in order for me to pursue my game safely and effectively. I'm sure you would agree. Um, and that's why I'm here today. Uh, all of this to say that just as I needed the understanding and knowledge, uh, knowledge and intelligence, so should the commission in order to pursue this RHA any further. Um, The RHA proposal is void of the data that will provide hunter acceptance through spatial separation. There has been no data to substantiate this claim. The RHA is also written, uh, has a 300-foot buffer and a directional component, but when asked why we couldn't look into New York's rule, uh, simply we were told the directional component couldn't be implemented due to it being an issue of hunter acceptance, headed on the idea of spatial separation yet we see in the language a directional component is already tied into it, why? My last contest to the RHA is the unfair bias provided to homeowners who have no restriction yet they hold no more position or stake than the public waterfowlers who will frequent these bodies of water. Why are homeowners on the shores of these lakes not a part of your solution for hunter acceptance and safety if this is the goal of the RHA? I believe by educating lake home residents, the public, and hunters alike with the knowledge and understanding of current laws and and laws in place to protect each party, um, acceptance can be achieved while also leaving us waterfowlers the opportunity to hunt. Um, One last statement, you know, my my boys are eight and ten. I live down in Naples. We don't have access to public water down there. Um, My kids' first hunts this past year were actually in a NWR. Um, so you know, while they say um, that it doesn't necessarily affect us today, it has affected uh, me down here in Naples. We have seen the development down here. We don't have a public body of water to hunt already without an RHA. So um, I, I hope that you guys strongly consider this because the development for years to come will affect our future retention of hunters. Thank you for your time.
13: Thank you, Justin. Emily Thompson. Good morning and welcome. Oh, let them clean the. <laughs> Good morning, Emily.
22: Good morning, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Emily Thompson. I'm married to Travis Thompson, whom many of you are familiar with, and I humbly ask today that you not hold that against me.
13: I already did. Sorry. <laughs> That's a joke. It's an honor to
22: be married to that man. I have been in a van for two hours this morning, the inside of which smells like the locker room of your youth. So thanks for agreeing to hear our comments, even though the vote has been postponed. I am the co-host of the Cast and Blast Florida podcast, an avid fisher, a duck hunter, and a fifth generation Floridian. I'm here today to voice my opposition to the RHA rule as it's currently written, but most importantly I'm here as the parent of a 15-year-old boy who loves duck hunting. I stand here today and ask that you consider the difference between the critical wildlife area rule and the proposed restricted hunting areas rule. When you compare the process of creating a CWA versus an RHA, you'll find that critical wildlife areas are created after biologists and FWC staff partner together to review data, landscape, location, and wildlife. There is research and data to fuel that decision to create the critical wildlife area with a clear path to a yes and a clear path to a no. Contrast those concepts with the way the RHA rule has been approached by FWC. What was the catalyst of this proposal? What data spurred you into action? Why did you decide this was best handled by local municipalities instead of FWC scientists and officers trained in the rights of hunters? As written, the rule feels a lot like ready, fire, aim, instead of ready, aim, fire. I use that phrase very specifically because it's ironic that this rule is being pushed so forcefully when there is no record of hunting incidents that lead to the existence of this rule. Commissioners, this rule is like a song with just the first verse written that you're dying to publish and it's simply not ready yet, so I applaud you for pushing out the vote. We still have no mechanism of rejecting a request for an RHA. We don't understand how this law is going to work with hunter harassment laws, and if the people enforcing both sets of rights will be educated enough to understand the difference. As we look to the future of Florida with development and real estate booming, lakefront properties being coveted, and the outside perimeter of every lake in Florida will become part of a restricted hunting area in no time. Or what's little left undeveloped will become overrun with hunters. We will have nowhere to hunt. My son and his future children will have nowhere to hunt. Play the song through to the end as you revisit this rule. Let's write the song together. We're eager to partner with you on a compromise. We value your support. One way you could show support would be not rescheduling the vote you canceled today during duck season. Thanks for your time.
13: Thank you, Emily. Emily. All right, Travis, good morning and welcome.
11: This should be an interesting car ride home.
12: I would, I would just like to get on the record, record how pretty the last speaker was. Do you yeah. want to make sure that's part of the official record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you guys uh, for for letting us have a moment to speak. I know a number of you have taken time to to speak to me individually, and I appreciate that. Um, this is obviously an issue that I'm going to say is contentious, but it's not intended to be contentious. It's 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 important to us because this is a thing that we live and breathe every single day. Um, I, I was trying to count while also being nervous about speaking, I think seven of those speakers killed their first duck with me in the last five years. Wow. And now they're speaking at commission meetings. But what you guys may not see is that those guys are also sitting at like management plan meetings. Those guys are also out there advocating for your invasive plant management program and the work that the agency does. Those guys are out there in the middle of the night volunteers uh, to ban ducks because you don't have enough text. Those guys are your guys. We are your guys. And so when I, when I was originally thinking about what my comments were going to be today, I was like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but anybody ever see Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? You, you guys are all of the age to remember that movie and, and Butch and Sundance are kind of backed up against a cliff and they're being surrounded by a posse and there's a river below them full of rocks and rapids and Sundance looks at Butch and says, we can't jump off this cliff. We're going to drown. And Paul Newman played Butch Cassidy, and he looks back at him and says, yeah, but the fall is going to kill you. This rule, you guys are worried about things that this administrative judge and things such as that that are out there, the fall is what's going to kill you. R3 is going to be unsuccessful if we continue to push this kind of rule because the next thing a municipality is going to do If we publish this rule, the next thing a municipality is going to do is they're going to come to you and say, you know what? 300 feet is not enough. We need 600 feet. And then whoever's sitting in these chairs is going to have to listen to that and wrestle with it. The other thing that that I want to say before I get off here is, I have two more. One, we hear a lot about spatial separation. Why does spatial separation only work on lakes for hunter acceptance? WMAs are exempt. Federal lands are exempt. But, but we've, we've said that spatial separation is gonna to lead to hunter acceptance. But why does it only lead to hunter acceptance when it's on a lake? Why doesn't it lead to hunter acceptance with your WMA developer? I'm not asking for spatial separation of those other places. I'm saying, why is it inconsistent? The other thing I wanna say is um, we've really tried to approach this in a way that's partnered with, with George and staff, and we appreciate the way they go about their business. We hope that this comes across in that way. We respect them. We respect what they're trying to do. What we really hope that you guys will do is ask them to work with us on a compromise on this rule, because we, we, we realize how important this is and it is gut-wrenching to kind of watch this unfold this way. I want to thank Tommy Gregory and, and Representative Show for the letter that they sent in, um, and I know you guys took that to heart and appreciate that. So thank you for your time. Thank
13: you, Travis. All right, Matthew Schwartz.
0: Good morning, Matthew, welcome. Good morning, commissioners, good to be back here. Um, so Matthew Schwartz, I am representing an organization, the South Florida Wildlands Association. And I wasn't here today to speak about this issue, I'm here to talk about the Panther coming up soon. But because this issue was is coming up, and as I looked at the presentation, um, I realized that uh, there was some emphasis on, well, you guys have been, you've kind of phased out The uh, bird sanctuaries, that doesn't happen anymore. But the presentation emphasized that the tool for doing protection is the critical wildlife areas. So I love that program, I want to talk about it and sort of emphasize the benefits of that in in this context. I'm not prepared to talk about the RHA, I just haven't looked into it enough. A lot of politics involved, a lot of history there, so I'm not going to jump into that one. But I think Emily, she spoke about the critical wildlife areas being science based. And I like that a lot. So critical wildlife areas can be established wherever wildlife species are known to be present. I think almost all of your critical wildlife areas are on the coast right now, but that's not a requirement. You could do those in the inland areas. And you could do it for a variety of animals, Florida imperiled species, uh, federally listed species, but also species that aren't being listed. The criteria is that the species are present, that they're known scientifically, documented, known to be disturbed by human activities. And that the landowner, and I assume that could be private or public landowner, agrees to setting up this designation. So given that I'm here to talk about that, and somebody else spoke earlier and made a very good general point, And that's going to come up a lot, obviously, in the Panther discussion. Uh, habitat is being paved over. It's a fact. Thousand people a day moving to Florida, we're going to talk about that. I'm assuming we're going to talk about that when it comes to the Panther and the Manatee later on. But obviously, losing habitat. Losing access to public lands, or not just public lands, but natural lands in general. And the degradation of public lands when when the natural lands nearby it or the agricultural lands nearby it are being paved over. That's a big crisis in the state right now. It's not getting better, it's going to get worse. How far it can go, I have no idea. I mean, you guys could maybe do a little bit more on that front. Maybe you could show up at some of the county commission meetings. I have the staff come and say why a project is going to affect the wildlife in the area. But at any rate, there's 32 critical wildlife areas in the state right now. 13 were uh, designated in one fell swoop in, I think, 2016. It brought a lot of attention to that program. A lot of people didn't even know those things existed. It's a great program. Use it more liberally. You guys could do it. You know, work with the landowners, work with your scientists, identify the areas where the species need to be protected, and let's get it done. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Matthew. Chairman, that concludes public comment on this item.
11: Okay, thank you, um, Eric. You have something?
23: Um, yes, Mr. Chairman. I, it, it may be helpful to have uh, George come up and wrap up. But, I, the, but I, what I'd like to say is, uh, first of all, um, I, I hope the commission understands, and, and those out there that stakeholder input is incredibly valuable to this agency. Always has been, always will be. Um, and I think, in the big picture scheme of things, we're we're all on the same page of what we're trying to avoid, and that is, you know, the loss of hunting. Um, there's there's a there's a discrepancy on the philosophy on how to get there, um, and 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 we we've reached basically that impasse. That said, um, you know, by postponing the vote, that is definitely uh, I feel like the commission sent a, a signal that. You know we we need to take some time to figure out how to to get to the right place, but that's just kind of my overall comments. And so, well, I, I think it's
11: also uh, too important to note for the record that we did receive a letter from the Sportsman's Caucus, the two chair, the co-chairs, uh, Tommy Gregory, Representative Tommy Gregory, and Re- Representative Jason Scalf. And I would uh, assume that staff is going to be meeting with them and uh, and uh, hearing them out and, and trying to work with them as if I'll make myself available or I'm sure the Commission will make themselves available but they're a part and part of this process as well so all right yes sir yep go ahead George
15: yeah and, and thank you Mr. Chairman Director Sutton it may be helpful for me to uh, frame up briefly some of the things that would be in the presentation today without going to the full presentation um, no, and and so One of the aspects, this can be a very uh, difficult rule. Uh, It's steeped in history, as we've heard, through bird sanctuaries and RHAs in 1997. So since 1997, the RHA RHA rule that's in existence, as we've heard, is subjective. And we feel the dangers that lie there are that it, by not defining structure within the rule, uh, leaves us susceptible uh, to having entire lakes and entire areas closed down um, and so that really, as you've heard, uh, we uh, we agree a focus of this rule is looking to the future. And so the proposed rule changes you see in front of you today um, hope to accomplish many of the things we've heard and do it through a structured rule. And I'm happy to walk through that process if that's helpful or answer any questions that the commission may have. I think there's some
11: questions. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I don't
13: think we need to walk no. through No. One. one, again, I really do appreciate the stakeholder engagement on this. A couple, couple things, uh, and, and I'd like to react to a lot of the comments if you don't mind, Chairman. Um, one, uh, you know, George, I know some commented that there wasn't adequate public input on this. I was a little surprised by that because I know there has been tremendous public engagement, and, and I think it's merely just a disagreement on how to get to the same place. Uh, we are moving forward, I believe, with this rule primarily to ensure R3 is strong, and we do so in a thoughtful way, and we avoid what could be adverse legal um, challenges and solutions that are foisted on us. And so uh, I appreciate us moving forward in that direction, because we need to take some action. I I know there's been some that have said we don't need to do anything. I'm just nervous if we do nothing. What happens to the R3 component of ensuring hunting continues to be encouraged and understood and accepted, because I think that's very important. And because I'm a public lands duck hunter, you guys heard me say this last time, uh, as it relates to spatial separation or spatial awareness, the good news, if you've hunted on public lands, it's crowded, pretty much duck hunters get that concept already. You know we're spatially separating when we set up our blinds etc we're not setting up right next to somebody else unfortunately there are some challenges sometimes and how do we find the common sense solution because that's all we're trying to regulate is let's have some common sense let's be safe let's make sure if a, a structure or dwellings you know right behind you that we're not shooting and, and causing problem and the science by the way the 300 feet if I'm not mistaken is the ballistics that we got are the trajectory data of shot fall and, and trying to ensure that we don't have whether it's safety or structural issues so there's been a lot of thought on this I encourage you to continue to work with the stakeholders to find that good common endpoint where we're encouraging and trying to ensure R3 is continued. I know folks are afraid of what could happen in the distance future. Well, unfortunately, you know, we can't control the, the, the far future because we don't know who's gonna be in these chairs and what their philosophies are gonna be. But by setting down and putting a framework together that's lasting, I think that is the end goal. And I know that's what you've been trying to do, George, and, and I appreciate your efforts there. And I appreciate the stakeholder input you framed that well,
14: Commissioner Spotwoods. A um, couple of things. Um, first of all, so some of the comments that that I heard, you know, um, about about this commission not paying attention and listening to stakeholders, and you know, I just like to assure you that that's just not true. I mean, we've we postponed our decision here today on this rule. We've done it numerous times before. We're you know we feel like something new comes up or we haven't reached you know a position that we're entirely comfortable with what we're proposing to do and you know we're always willing to back off and wait and see and learn more and try and get to the right rule and so we're going to do it again now and um you know, i've had this conversation with george and emily several times throughout this process trying to get comfortable um you know first of all i i have expressed a lot of the same concerns that i heard today i'm really not in favor of limiting or taking away opportunities to hunt in this state i think that's something we need to protect Um, as i've gone through this proposed rule with george and emily though um, we face that today anyway and what we're trying to do is improve upon and clarify and give more definition and objectivity to um, you know what what could occasion that loss in the future, and we feel like with the existing rules we have, which are very subjective, you know, we're faced with that opportunity anyway, and we're trying to protect ourselves against it. So, you know, please understand that what we're trying to do is to protect the loss of hunting opportunities in the future by giving more clarity and definition to the rules that we're operating under. And i I've, I've, I've gone through with George and asked a number of different ways, trying to get to it. Does this rule that we 're doing now does this create the opportunity or the exposure that we 're going to lose more hunting opportunities in the future than we would today under the existing rules and the answer I keep getting back is no, this helps prevent that and so you know we 're trying to accomplish what you want, but we 're trying to avoid you know challenges to currently subjective rules um, um, to try and prevent hunters from losing the opportunity to hunt. Uh, we strongly believe in protecting those rights. We're trying our best to do it, even though um, because of the imperfect nature of what we're trying to do, it might not always seem like that, but believe that that's our intent. We're trying to accomplish that, and we're trying as hard as we can, and we'll continue to work on this and see if there's further clarification. You know, I asked before about you know, the opportunity to give us um, the discretion at the end of the day, and and went through that, and, and that didn't turn out to be a good idea. So we decided not to include that in this rule. We tried to come up with a very clear, concise way that folks could come to us and ask for establishment of these areas. And and you know, three hundred feet. You know, I had asked if we could do it a shorter a shorter distance, but I was convinced that that was probably a bad idea as well. So. I would encourage our stakeholders to continue to talk to us and talk to George. We'll bring this back. We'll see if we can bring further clarity to it. Um, but it's our intention to protect the hunting rights with the exercise we're going through and to avoid um, legal challenges going forward in the future. And, and you know, the last thing I'll add is um, I'm very concerned about the loss of not only opportunities to hunt but lands in the state of Florida and. You know, we have so much pressure with so many people moving into our state. There's further and further pressure all the time to develop lands in the state of Florida. And we need to be mindful and need to be doing everything we can to protect lands in the state of Florida for conservation. And believe me, we've got, you know, um, that's, that's not that's not really in, in our court all the time. It's something that other agencies and jurisdictions in the state of Florida are focused on and need to be, but you know, to the extent there's anything that we can do to to um, um, help conserve lands in the state of Florida, I would certainly like to do it. Um, but you know, as as further lands are lost for development, um, further complications are going to come up with this rule that we're dealing with today and the challenges that we face and we're trying to get ahead of the curve and improve this rule before that continues to happen to us. So with that, I thank you all for all your work and look forward to getting this back in front of us at the, you know, as <clears throat> soon as possible date and we'll do the best job we can with it.
11: Apparently not during dark funding season. Right. That's so we heard. Not during Duck <laughs> Hunt Commissioner uh, Spotswood, thank you, you framed it well really appreciate it it's good uh i support uh both the comments from the vice chair and commissioner uh commissioners other nope seeing none george you got it you got your I marching do. orders
15: i do thank you A- Mr. Chairman. and not deer and
11: hunting season uh, duck season right you got it i hear you all right yes sir. Sound clear
12: there you go 22 speakers in all did not edit any of them including that final speaker uh matthew schwartz who wasn't actually speaking about the rhas but about the critical wildlife areas I will point out the irony that um, most people would think, wow, that's a guy that hunters would never align with, but he actually cited a couple of our speakers for being reasonable and wanting to use science and everything else. I think that speaks to a lot of what we try to be about here, which is being about the right things in the right way. It's not to say we're always right, but it is to say we try to have the right approach. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope it made you feel pride um, if you got a little misty-eyed when Brian Cottingham or Justin Morales or Emily were talking about kids, Will, or uh, their kids, like you felt right. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heavy thing for me as a dad. And um, I just, I, I will, I said I wasn't going to editorialize. I, I will a little bit. I wish the agency, which has been so bad at r3 i mean i I hate to pull that i'm not going to pull that punch it's not pulling a punch they've been bad at r3 i wish they would listen to people that are serious about r3 and that get r3 in a big way and um not to be arrogant about that we have been as passionate and as powerful in the r3 space as anyone in florida for a long time and then if you look at the organizations we aligned with um they are serious about r3 in a big time way so when I, when I hear those commissioner comments at the end talking about R3, I'm like, man, there's a serious disconnect here. And I don't I don't know how to broker that any more than what we've done. Um, so I think it was alarming to me when Director Sutton said, we reached an impasse because we've reached an impasse. The problem is if they're waiting for us to go away or pack up or fold, I think they picked the wrong guy to be across the table, the wrong guys to be across the table and gals. Um, So interested to see what's gonna happen in October. Hopefully the agency reaches out and wants to um, work to a compromise on this, but given where we're at, I'm not sure that they will, but we'll see what happens, I'm I'm hopeful. Um, I think, again, yesterday, powerful statement. This has now been postponed from an agenda twice. Uh, It's now been spoken on twice, and overwhelmingly the sentiment of legislators, every NGO in the conservation space, And all public comment has been opposed to this rule change in its current incantation. You tell me what that adds up to, particularly when we then add in there's no data reflecting number of gunshots on a lake. There's no data indicating that spatial separation works for hunter acceptance. And there's no data uh, regarding anyone being harmed by hunters and the fact that we already have a rule in this state to protect homeowners from gunfire or projectile trespassing or anything else someone take that sentence take what i just said and explain to me how we're wrong on this and why the agency's right on it Um, and i'll buy you an ice cream cone but i can't find anyone that can do it thank you guys for listening i hope you enjoyed this everybody have a great weekend and we'll see y'all next week